Love Letters Between Christopher Isherwood and Don Bacardi Presented by Catherine Bucknell Simon Callow as Christopher Isherwood Music by Edmund Jolliffe With a special appearance by Don Bacardi If you like this podcast and think more people should hear it, please rate it, review it and subscribe to it. Episode 11 Don Bacardi at 82 a meeting by the river went back to Broadway in 1979. Chris and Don revised the script in November and December 1977 for Albert Marr to direct and worked on it again in February, July, and December 1978. They opened officially at the Palace Theater on March 28, 1979, with big interest from the press. Simon Ward played Oliver, Keith Baxter played Patrick, Keith McDermott was Tom, Siobhan McKenna, Margaret, Sam Jaffe, Swami, Megwin Owen, Penelope. The producers were Harry Rigby and Terry Allen Kramer. The reviewers didn't like it. In his day-to-day diary for that date, Chris wrote, Decision to close play immediately because of bad notices. I spoke to Don the day before his 82nd birthday in Santa Monica, I reminded him that he'd told me a few years earlier that the Palace Theater is huge. It's a good venue for musicals. It dwarfed this chamber production. The fatal mistake was the theater. That's something that you said to me. That was just awful. Uh, This huge hall uh, for this tiny little, uh, um, uh, what do you call it, Uh, uh, chamber uh, uh, piece which should be done in a, uh, a, a small, intimate theatre. And uh, uh, here we were in this giant theatre, and Albert Mark was just hell. Uh, uh, he was uh, so formal, so square, so humorous. God, it was just agony for us. Yet press interest continued strong. That week in New York, separately and together... Chris and Don were interviewed for Women's Wear Daily, The New York Post, After Dark, Christopher Street, The Big Apple Report, The Advocate, Men's Wear, and photographed by Maggie Hopp for a book about guests at the Chelsea Hotel where they were staying. The animals went home to the basket and settled safely back into their routine. Chris was writing what proved to be his last book, my guru and his disciple, about his long relationship with Swami Prabhavananda. Don was doing portrait sittings nearly every day. Together, they were working on an illustrated diary of a month of their life, October. Through Vedanta, Chris had come to see all worldly activities as symbolic, part of what he called the as-if world of Maya, the cosmic illusion of material reality which veils Brahman. In 1955, when he still worked at the film studios and he'd known Don for only two years, he had written in his diary, In the night, quite often now, I wake, not with the horrors, but calmly and lucidly. Then I know certain things clearly. It's almost as if they belong to another order of reality, that I shall die one day, that much of my life has been wasted, that the life of the spirit is the only valid occupation, that I really care for Don and that I have as it were, adopted him. 
In the daytime, these facts are obscured by studio noise and as-if behavior and insane resentments and mental and physical slumping. Also, I know that all occupations, even art, are symbolic and all are valid so long as they represent right livelihood. Tony Harvey had turned down their treatment for Cabaret. Then Harvey lost control of the movie project. Chris and Don didn't write the screenplay, and Harvey didn't direct the film. The film made Liza Minnelli a superstar. On February 28, 1972, she was on the covers of both Time and Newsweek, dressed as Sally Bowles. That March, the film won eight Academy Awards, including Best Director, Best Actress, and Best Supporting Actor, Joel Gray. Hair Isivu is still the role for which Chris is most widely recognized. His most famous character, Sally Bowles, is on a stage somewhere in the world every day, more than 80 years after he created her. By the time Cabaret came out, Chris and Don had already been at work on Frankenstein, The True Story, their prize-winning screen adaptation of Mary Shelley's novel, and another job, The Mummy, or The Lady from the Land of the Dead. Kathleen and Frank was published to significant acclaim in 1971 in England and in 1972 in the U.S. And Chris was exploring a new way to write about his past that would eventually result in Christopher and His Kind, the memoir that launched him into the heart of the gay liberation movement in 1976. None of this really mattered in the spiritual life that A Meeting by the River addresses. Chris's attitude sheltered Don, who might otherwise have been more vulnerable to disappointment. In his own spiritual life, Chris had decided in 1944 that he couldn't live as a monk. In a sense, Patrick and Oliver reflected two aspects of himself. But he was no less committed to Vedanta. For him, devotion had to be acted out each day towards Don, towards his guru, towards Ramakrishna, in order to keep the spiritual journey alive. Belief was not a one-time intellectual decision. Even taking a vow as a monk was merely symbolic. What mattered was the inward state and the greater journey. Moreover, as he reminded Don when he wrote from London on April 7, 1970, after their play had been turned down by yet another director, Chris felt most alive in a posture of opposition to the others. Success and becoming part of the world of the others offered only a kind of deadening banality. His relationship with Don was the center of his life and... Their close companionship strengthened Chris in his stance against any kind of conformity. Certainly, their inner life was made richer and stronger by the fact that for many years they had to keep much of it hidden. But even as their sexuality emerged into the open in their later years together, the private bond between the animals remained a measure of authenticity and a source of creativity. Thank you. 
The last known letters between Chris and Don were written in 1970, roughly halfway through the animals' life together. After that, they were apart only for brief spells, and they relied on the telephone. But the conversation between them never really stopped. Sometimes, I feel it continues today. In 1967, when the novel A Meeting by the River was published, and even in 1979, when the play was staged, this question of bisexuality was a, a, a very particular, it was a very particular moment in history when people were living in the closet, very divided about what they owed society or family life as against what they really felt about themselves. So you and Chris were having none of that. You were living, trying to live according to your true natures. Uh, and when you uh, think in, in the 50s, when Chris and I started uh, leading, uh, living together, uh, it was considered... Um, uh, uh, I think we were really quite surprised when we found out how uh, um, how, how uh, well known we were for being trailblazers, or, or uh, I guess somebody as well known as Chris publicly uh, had never really fronted a, a boyfriend like uh, Chris uh, 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 had. You used to tell a great story about Stephen Spender coming to visit you and Chris uh, and enjoying... Uh, yes, uh, uh, coming uh, to the, uh, uh, the queer oasis, oh, oh, to get away from uh, Natasha and the uh, children and to um, uh, be with the two of you and, uh, where, where I can talk and uh, be myself and then... <laughs> we would take him to the airport and uh, leave him off, and then uh, on the way home, we, we would play the family scene with Stephen arriving back to Natasha. Oh, what a relief to get away from that loose house with all the, the boys and the queers and the, <laughs> and the men and all that uh, to get back to something wholesome and uh, with children and you and uh, Natasha. <laughs> I mean, we were there, but we knew it really happened. <laughs> and uh, uh, Natasha, to give her uh, due credit, uh, I, I think she uh, kind of uh, got onto the routine and, and uh, uh, wasn't all that co convinced. Uh, 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 she, she could be a pretty good sport. Uh, uh. Let's transfer from sexuality to spirituality and think about Chris's life uh, and the Hollywood Vedanta Society and the temple, that he went through a period in 1944 when he was really genuinely trying to, to commit or considering that he would try to commit to being a monk. And 
he decided he couldn't do that. Uh, the group life, the chastity, I mean, so many things just were not true to him and giving up his own name and his own identity, particularly because he was a writer and this idea that he was a voice and a name that that was the, his essence. Yes. And you see him in his diaries writing uh, frequently over the next decade, even 15 years, about the difficulty of choosing between being in the temple, out of the temple, a devotee with a, with a domestic life at home. And I've been looking at how he, um, uh, when he met you and became increasingly committed to, to you, I can definitely identify anxieties uh, that he had about was this going to come between him and God and how could he live these two lives and he certainly came over the long term to a firm conviction that he needed to live both lives and that that, that was what he was meant to do yes and it was very necessary and uh, um, uh, a difficult moment to introducing uh, Swami to me and uh, um, uh, but he knew he ha had to do it, that uh, he couldn't just uh, be discreet uh, with uh, Swami. He was serious enough about him that uh, when he got involved with me, uh, uh, Swami had to know and had to accept. And that was uh, a test. I, I, I think he probably uh, uh, dreaded uh, making for fear that uh, uh, Swami uh, uh, wouldn't be up to it. But Swami was so uh, uh, determined to hang on to him that uh, uh, he made himself uh, uh, do it and made himself accept me as a pedantist as well, mm -hmm. uh, 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 which he did. Uh, uh, I mean, both uh, Swami and I, I think we understood perfectly uh, uh, what was going on. Uh, <laughs> which didn't mean that we weren't both serious at the same time. Um, so in, in the play, the way that um, Patrick is accepted to sit in the place on the other side of Swami, on, the, on Swami's seat, uh, you were accepted into Swami's love. Not that you were Patrick, but you were included in that. Oh yes, uh, that was um, uh, very necessary. Um, I'm uh, thinking about how Chris had kept his own life in a lot of different compartments for many years and separated certain friends from one another, family from friends, life abroad, religious life, home life, sex life, devotional life. It was a great relief for him, yes, to finally kind of uh, settle uh, and um, introducing uh, uh, Swami and me uh, was a very important uh, event and Prabhupada uh, uh, knew he, he had, had to make the grade as I knew. Uh, and and the truth was we both weren't kidding uh, that I I was serious about the Vedanta too as uh, uh, as incredulous as I I might have been uh, and was at the start uh, it wasn't uh, easy for my uh, 
for me myself to believe in me as a pedantist, but I finally had to, uh, because uh, I wasn't kidding either. It's it's still uh, very uh, as important to me now as I don't know why I can't uh, uh, do it without uh, demonstration, but uh, I'm a perfectly sincere fantasist. <laughs> uh, It gives me great strength. I don't think I could have uh, done it without it. And it is so much a, a, a part of my uh, uh, feeling for queers. It's it's now uh, the two things have become the uh, they're no longer. Uh, separated, uh, loving Chris and being a, a presenter are, are the same thing. No. So that's very beautiful because I'm thinking now that this novel, A Meeting by the River, which opens up all these different compartments of Chris's life through this whole variety of characters speaking separately from one another, are joined on that stone seat. And of course the title is A Meeting by the River. It's like the river of life. It's this moment at which all the walls between the separate compartments come down and the life, your life is unified and is now one life in which your religious belief and your personal love is all of a piece. Yes, it's such a relief. Yeah. Does it upset you when you were saying why you can't do it without an example, but Chris, w Chris would take you along, you would go together, and does it upset you that, that now that he's gone that you don't act it out on a daily basis? You think about uh, it. Uh, oh, no, I'm, I'm uh, perfectly... Uh, uh, true uh, for dentists, I, I say uh, uh, my prayers every day, every night. Uh, it is a great uh, uh, source of uh, strength to me, and the, um, the two become uh, one. The Fedanta and the strength I get, get from Chris are the same thing. Uh, still, and even more so now than ever. Yes, it's... Um, it's uh, how I've uh, survived. That's uh, 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 the triumph of uh, my triumph and the triumph of Fredanta. I mean, it really does work, and, and it's all of a piece, and uh, uh, I couldn't have done it without it. The letters were published unabridged in 2013 as The Animals, Love Letters Between Christopher Isherwood and Don Bacardi, Edited, introduced, and annotated by me, Catherine Bucknell. The volume includes plates of the cast portraits Don drew in London for Anthony Page. The original letters are deposited at the Huntington Library, San Marino, California, along with the 1979 Broadway script for A Meeting by the River that was adapted and performed in this podcast 
under the long-awaited direction of Antony Page. With Page's production of A Meeting by the River, the love triangle is rounded off into a circle. The Animals, a selection from the book The Animals, Love Letters Between Christopher Isherwood and Don Bacardi, was presented by Catherine Bucknell with Simon Callow as Christopher Isherwood and Alan Cumming as Don Bacardi. Music by Edmund Jolliffe, with special appearances by Don Bacardi and by David Hockney. A Meeting by the River was adapted for the stage by Christopher Isherwood and Don Bacardi from Isherwood's novel and adapted for this podcast by Catherine Bucknell. A Meeting by the River was directed by Anthony Page, with Dominic West as Patrick, Carl Soller as Oliver, Penelope Wilton as Margaret, Annabel Malian as Penelope, Robert Ashby as Tarun Maharaj, Jonathan Bailey as Tom, Ranjit Krishnama as Head Swami, Tibu Fortis as Second Swami, Gerard Horan as Rafati, Manish Gandhi as Asim. Music by Edmund Jalaf. Casting by Amy Ball. Assistant Director, Shani Erez. The Animals and A Meeting by the River is produced by Catherine Bucknell and Shani Erez. Production Assistant, Zenaby Purvis. Recorded in London at the Rhythm Studio with James Carey, at Heavy Entertainment with David Roper and Dan Vaux, and at the Soundhouse with Phil Horn. Post-production by Toma Run. Editing by Catherine Bucknell and Shani Erez. Website by Zenaby Purvis. Podcast conceived by Joe Rodota with Catherine Bucknell. We would like to thank Pravajika Vrajaprana of the Vedanta Society of Southern California and Swami Tayagananda, head of the Ramakrishna Vedanta Society of Boston. Haley Goswami, Dilip Supramanian, The Huntington Library, San Marino, California, Peregrine Andrews, Susanna White, and The Wiley Agency. Don Bacardi, Catherine Bucknell, Penguin Random House, and Farah Strauss-Giroux donated rights for this podcast, which is underwritten by the Christopher Isherwood Foundation. Special thanks to cast and creatives for donating time to this podcast. If you like this podcast and think more people should hear it, please rate it and review it. Visit our website, theanimalspodcast.com, to learn more about us. Copyright Don Bacardi, Catherine Bucknell, and The Animals Podcast 2017.